you had your subjects, and then you had a comportment section where they filled in whether you were socially adjusted or whether you were a good kid or a bad kid or or gave you a, a grade on that. I, I don't think they used A, Bs, and Cs. They used satisfactory, unsatisfactory, and that type of thing. Do they still do that? I doubt it, because somebody would have gotten all twisted up about it uh, in our society today. But uh, nonetheless, it all comes down to our performance. And really, I could probably give you two sentences and be done for the day and never need to say anything ever again. Love God more than anything else and love your neighbor as much as you do yourself. That's it in a nutshell. That's all there is to it. The first and the second commandment. And then the rest of this book is explaining the whys and wherefores and hereabouts about that. And even prophecy itself is tied in with that. Do we understand and grasp that? I think we probably do by now here. Uh, prophecy isn't just a matter of trying to figure out when everything in the Bible is going to happen. Prophecy is all about whether or not you do what God says and love Him and love your neighbor and what will happen to you if you love your neighbor and Him or what will happen to you if you don't. That's what prophecy is written for. Now, these things about the exact timing and so on are really only extraneous issues that are not the impact of the whole program. The whole program is obey me and you'll be blessed. If not, you're going to captivity and slavery. That's what it all boils down to from Adam and Eve through every generation that has ever existed. Will people pay attention to God and take care of each other or will they not? That's all it's about. So, he comes to this situation as they're about to, they just come out of captivity, griped and complained, then wandered 40 years in a wilderness until all of them dropped dead and only their kids and grandkids remained. And now they're about to have another big test. Are you going to go in and be blessed and be able to handle it? and still love me more than anything else, and take care of your neighbor, or are you going to go different directions? So before they go in then, just before Moses dies, <clears throat> he gives them this chapter. Uh, let's reread verse 26 of chapter 27 first. Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, so be it. So the first thing to do is confirm that this law needs to be kept. And the law really just explains our relationship with our Father in heaven and his Son, and then how we treat each other. That's all the law is about. Gives you lots of examples of how to apply it. So, it's easy to say it, then it's hard to do it. That's where the rub comes. It's really, really a simple, uh, not task, it's a, it's a very difficult task. It's a very simple uh, thing to understand, let's say. Following it is something else. 
Anyway, verse 28, he says, It shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Eternal your God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the Eternal your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. So, he's giving the positive here first. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But here he starts out with the good. All right, we've confirmed. Everybody said, so be it, that we're going to follow this law. So then he says, if you will hearken diligently and follow it, you're going to be the greatest nation on earth. That's a pretty nice promise, isn't it? High above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. It's like they're slipping up on you from behind and they're going to overtake you. You can't get away from them. In other words, I'm going to bless you so much that you can't outrun it. Uh, another place that that is expressed, is, and it may even be in this chapter again, I kind of forget, but where it says that the, uh, the sower will overtake the harvester, uh, there'll be so much abundance, so much growth, so much crop that you can't keep up with it. That's what he's saying here. That is incredible motivation, brethren. You would think that anyone throughout history, from Adam and Eve on down, could read a promise like that and say, I'm in, let's go, let's do this thing, and then follow through. But there have been very, very few who have been able or willing to accomplish that. And Israel was blessed sometimes in their history for a while, and then they were cursed. They were blessed, and then they were cursed. <laughs> Even in the New Testament church. started out with the apostles trained by Christ himself to run the church, and it did quite well for some time, and then it took a nosedive. There was a great falling away. Uh, but God, out of that, even out of the Old Testament, some names, Hebrews 11, and out of the early New Testament church, he managed to seal quite a few who will be in the kingdom of God in the first resurrection. And now he's using this end time to call many, and again, choose from them, those will be the bride of Christ. That's what we have before us today. Not only would we have been the greatest nation on earth, and America has been, has it not? It really has been. Because when God brought us back to this land, He blessed us. And people were eager to work and to produce. And we had blessings unparalleled in this country. But now we are at the point where we have rejected God, we've rejected His ways, and the nation is about to go under again. But you and I have an opportunity to have it go the other way for us. He has called many here at the end, into the church, and He is choosing a few to finish out the 144,000. So even as we see our nation going down into slavery again very soon, we see many scriptures that encourage us that even in the face of 
this coming cursing that is coming on the land, if we will serve and obey God and serve and help each other, that we will be blessed. And we've seen many, many scriptures that show that we will be spiritual Israel, the called out ones whom God will bless in a place of safety, and they will be fed there, it says in uh, uh, Revelation 12, during that time, where God will be a wall of fire and a defense to protect and make sure we have everything we need. <coughs> so he's given up on the physical nation. And in fact, Jeremiah tells us, don't even pray for it anymore. They will not repent. He said, don't even bother. It won't happen. But he does try, tell us to cry aloud and spare not and tell his people what they need to do so that they can be blessed. So, let's understand that as we read into this, that we are a nation apart from the physical nation of Israel, or America and the other nations of Israel. God is doing a special work with a special, redeemed, paid-for, purchased people, purchased by the blood of the Lamb that he is building a nation of. So, let's understand that as we go into this blessing part, that we are in a position at this point to be blessed, if we will do what he says, whereas the nation has already shown their hand and are accursed. And those cursings are beginning to come down. So, let's separate ourselves in that sense from the rest of the nation and the world around us and understand that we're getting a chance right now that they're not going to have. Now, they're going to have it later if they survive into the millennium or into the great white throne judgment. They'll have an opportunity to face Deuteronomy 28 then with understanding of what it means. But our chance is now. So, when he says, if you will hearken diligently to his voice and keep his commandments, he will set us above all nations. And isn't that what he's planning on doing? He's going to set apart 10% of those whom he called here at the end. He's going to protect them. He's going to send two messengers out from them to tell the world why what is happening to them is happening and what they need to do about it. But he will bless and protect them and set them above all nations on the earth. His church will be set above all peoples. And he says that there will be 10%. So we have opportunity to be part of that. That's what we have opportunity to be. So as we read this, let's, let's keep that in mind. And how these blessings will overtake us. Doesn't he tell us we'll have legs like deer, that we'll have our health returned, that we'll have plenty to eat, that everything will be taken care of, he'll be a defense and a protection for us during this time. Zechariah 2, Zechariah 3. You can go back and read it again. Verse 3, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Wherever you are, there'll be blessings. Uh, Isaiah uses the expression, showers of blessings. Somebody made a song out of that, uh, but that's in there. Isaiah did say it. 
<clears throat> Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your animals, and the flocks of your sheep. So, no stillborns, no sick, everybody, everything healthy, everything good. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Not only when you go out to gather it and put it in the basket to take it to the house or the barn, but also your storage. In other words, you'll have more abundantly than you can possibly use. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. That would be a nice feeling, wouldn't it? But I know this is going to be a good day. When I go out that door, I'm going to be blessed. And when I get done working today and I go in the house, I'm going to be blessed. What a feeling to always have. The Eternal shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. What does he say at Micah 5 for the church? Seven, even eight principal men will go out against the Assyrian when he comes into our land and send them scurrying. I mean, probably tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Seven or eight men will send them running. Like Gideon. Break the lamps. The Syrians kill each other and run off, and then the king gets killed. On and on it goes. Stories like that in the Old Testament that we can go back and read and understand that God has those capacities. We don't have to worry about it. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I mean, here you are, and here they all come from one direction after you, coming one way right at you. And when they come up against you, God says, if you're obeying and serving me diligently, they're going to scatter like quail, every direction, seven ways. There are only really four directions, but they're southeast and northwest, too, and they're, they're, it's, they'll just go from your presence. Verse 8, The Eternal shall command the blessing upon you in the storehouses and in all that you set your hand to do. And He shall bless you in the land which the Eternal your God gives you. We're poised to go back into the heart of that land, I think very shortly, if we do our part. And God will bless us there and protect us there. And He'll bless everything that our hand sets itself to do. Do you ever get discouraged with things you try that don't work out? You wish it worked better and it didn't? In fact, it might have flopped on its face. God says, no, if you're obeying me and serving me in the way that I'm talking about here, Everything you do is going to turn out good. Coming and going. The Eternal shall establish you and holy people to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you shall keep the commandments of the Eternal your God and walk in his ways. We see that language in the New Testament a lot, about being a holy people, a holy nation. It's, it's in the prophecies a lot, too. God will 
has picked us out. We need to understand that. I think we do, don't we? But maybe part here in the context, no man can come except the Spirit of the Father draw him. In other words, if God opened your mind to the truth in this age, he looked down and picked you specifically, each one of you, out of the six-plus billion people on the face of this earth. Why? God only knows to use the expression. But he did it individually with each one of us. It says that without the Spirit of God, you cannot understand the truth. He gives his Spirit to them that obey the truth, Acts 5.29. So when you tell people what this Bible's really saying, if God hasn't opened their mind, they will reject it. They won't understand it, they won't get it, they won't believe it, and they will hate it. Human beings have a natural aversion to anything that is truly godly. They don't have an aversion necessarily to an idea of a greater being or there being a God or whatever. But if you start telling them what God says to do, they have an aversion to that. It's just like with children. People love a child that's respectful and courteous and nice and pleasant and is loves instead of fights. But then you tell them what it takes to get them that way, and they have an automatic aversion to that. Well, I just want to smile and be sweet and tell them how wonderful they are, and they'll just be good. No, they won't. No, they won't. It takes some kind of discipline, some kind of guidance, some kind of parameters and some rules that have to be followed, or they won't be. So we don't mind the product, we just don't like the process. And that's the way it is with people in God's way. If your mind is open to the truth, then God's Spirit is working with you. And when people that you talk to push you away, that means the Spirit of God is not there opening their mind and they cannot understand. Paul said they can't receive it there in Corinthians. So, God has called you and me to bless and to make us a holy people. He does it with a positive attitude. He's not against us at all. He's all for us. In fact, he hand-picked us. So, hand-picked means that you were specifically wanted so let's not get discouraged and think, well, why me? Why am I here? I don't know why you are or why I am, other than he says he calls the weak in the base. We fall back on that pretty often. But at the same time, there are a lot of weak in base also, aren't there? Aren't there across the face of this earth an awful lot of truly weak and base people? Yeah, most. But he picked you anyway. So it wasn't just because of that. He felt that you could make it. Or he wouldn't have called you. So it's positive from the very beginning with each of us when he begins to open our minds. 
And he called us to be a holy people, and he would bless us if we do follow through. Verse 10, And all people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. You see, we have very soon coming now a beast power that is going to put its number in your forehead or your right hand, and you can't buy and sell without it. Money will mean nothing unless you have that mark. So, Satan has a counterfeit. He's going to seal you in your forehead or in your right hand. Well, what does God say? He's going to seal 144,000 in their forehead. So there will be 144,000 or that number approaching that number. There won't be that many here at the end because it includes those that haven't been resurrected yet. But uh, a substantial number of people will have the seal of God in their forehead. Now, whether that's a visible thing or not is neither here nor there. In other words, God seals them and tells the devil and the world to leave them alone, and the rest of the world takes the mark of the beast, which is its mark that they belong to the beast. And the whole world is going to worship that beast. So we'll either have God's mark on us, or we'll have the world's mark on us, Satan's mark on us. And if we have the mark of God, the world is going to fear us. Now, the example is there of the two witnesses. They will go out and they will preach, and God will not allow them to be harmed. And if anyone tries to hurt them, fire will come out of their mouths and destroy them. Not something they have a valve they turn on and off, but God is going to cause that to happen. Will the world fear? Well, you bet they'll fear that will terrorize them. So all this that he was speaking to those people about to go into the promised land has a very strong application, the strongest ever right now today. They'll be afraid of you. <clears throat> Verse 11, And the Eternal shall make you plenteous in goods, in the food of your body, the food of the cattle, the food of the ground, and the land which the Eternal swore to you, or to your fathers, to give you. So he reiterates a blessing that he's already said, but he adds in the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give us. So wherever these things happen, that means that that was the original promised land. The proof is in the pudding. Well, where God begins to do these things is where you're going to see the land that Abraham walked. Same land, he says. Consider this. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25, Daniel, other places talk about a 70-year captivity, which Israel went through when Nebuchadnezzar took them captive into Babylon. And I believe that we have been in a captivity in the same way in a modern Babylon. And God caused the church under Herbert Armstrong to be organized in 1933. Add 70 years to that, and you have 2003. That's 70 years. Where we were in the midst of Babylon, living in its cities, trying to deal with 
the circumstances of it, trying to be Christian even while we were in the middle of Babylon. I find it quite interesting that it was in 2003, 70 years later, that we took possession of this land and were able to move out on our own place, away from the rest of the world. Seventy years after the church began, just as the early New Testament church lasted about 70 years and came apart. The New Testament end-time church was pretty well broken apart by 2003, and it was small what God began here, but he began it with a few people who had their own place away from the rest of the world. Still around us, but we're not in the midst of Babylon the way we were, are we? I think that's significant. And here we are in 2014, January. I don't know what time schedule God has in mind right away, but I take encouragement from the fact that we were just in the grip of Babylon for 70 years in the church. And he tells us to come out of it. Revelation 18, Micah 4, other places, Isaiah 47 or 8, Jeremiah 50, 51. On and on it goes. He says, get out of it. And 70 years after the church began, he gave us this opportunity to begin that movement away from. Then we have some time, I think, to gather ourselves back up from the Laodiceanism we were wallowing in before we're fit to finish his work. Be it build a temple, be it build Jerusalem, and the things that are ahead of us. We have to build a spiritual temple first and get it properly lined out, and then maybe go to some other things. But to me, that's quite a striking parallel in the 70 years. So here we are, going back to having a toehold, at least, in the promised land, right here, I believe. And we're being challenged to serve God with all our heart, serve our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, and we will have these blessings. Let's see, where was I here? Oh, I, I was going forward a page and I wasn't ready for it. Verse 12, The eternal shall open to you is good treasure. Read Isaiah 44 and 45. He talks about the temple treasures and his treasures that are hidden. Uh, does that mean something here? There are many different treasures. The heaven to give you the rain to your land in his season, to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. God is going to put us in a position where we are able to help others. When he begins gathering his church from the four winds, or from around the earth, he will bless us in such a way that we'll have plenty of abundance, and they will have everything they need. And we'll be in a position that we can give and not have to borrow. Our physical nation used to be in that position. Richest nation on earth. Now we owe more than any other nation on earth. We're not to the cursings yet. 
We'll see. But he's promising blessing here. And the eternal shall make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only and shall not be beneath. Always the leaders. Always ahead. Look to. If that you hearken to the commandments of the eternal your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. Wow. What more can you ask? We will serve God with all our heart. We'll have everything we could possibly need. <coughs> Verse 14. And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left, or to go after other gods to serve them. No idols of any kind. And do exactly what God is saying to do here. Verse 15, one of the biggest words in the English language. But, but it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So if we obey, blessings will come rolling at us and overtake us, but if we disobey, the cursings will roll at us and overtake us. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be, be your basket and your storage. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land, the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. That would be a pleasant way to live, wouldn't it? I know when I walk out this door this morning, it's going to be a bad day. I am going to be cursed all day long. And when I come back in at night after working hard, my wife's going to be cursing me again. I'll be cursed in the house. It doesn't matter where, I'm, where I am, in the house or out of the house, or in the outhouse, I'm going to be cursed. Not a pleasant way to live. Everything you do will be cursed. The Eternal shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do, or unto, for to do, until you be destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings whereby you have forsaken me. Everything you do will turn bad, rot, turn out wrong, fall on its face. Can't do anything right until you're destroyed. The eternal shall make you the pestilence, or make the pestilence cleave to you until he have consumed you from off the land where you go to possess it. The Eternal shall smite you with consumption, with fever, with an inflammation, and with an extreme burning, and with the sword, and with blasting, with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. Ezekiel 5. One-third die by famine and pestilence. One-third by the sword. One-third go into captivity and slavery, and he sends a sword after them. There's where our nation is headed. 
brethren, let's not go here. Let's stop reading about verse 14 and just do that. And God will make a spiritual nation of us and bless us and help us with all those blessings. But the nation around us, this modern pagan Babylon, is already too far down the road. It will not repent. Its destruction is sure. Because we have forsaken God. We've forsaken His laws. We've said they're done away. His statutes are no good. As a nation, that's what we've done. Or we can blame it on the leaders, the politicians. You know what those politicians were before they became politicians? People. You know what they were doing as people? Lying, cheating, stealing, adulterating, fornicating, defrauding, selfish to the core. You know what they became when they became politicians? Worse. Because power corrupts. So it isn't that it's we can blame our woes on the Democrats or the Republicans or the Tea Party or the whoever we want to try to blame it on. It's our fault as a nation, as a people, because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God and have denied Him in our lives. So the whole nation is being cursed. Now, does God hold the leaders more responsible? Of course. We make that very clear, that those who lead have a double judgment. But the American people can't blame it on politicians. The politicians don't do all the bank robberies. They don't do all the rapes and murders. They don't do all the abortions, murders, do they? No, it's done across the land. Every mother who has her child aborted is a murderer. Now, there are some in the church somewhere who have done that, I'm sure. They can repent and be forgiven, just like they can for a little white lie. So I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I don't know of anyone right off the top of my head or don't remember anybody. I didn't think of one. But it's not an eternal judgment. It's a sin that gets committed, perpetrated, and can be forgiven upon repentance. But it's something that's being done all across our land, no matter what it is. What's, whatever sin you want to pick out, anything contrary to this book is being done everywhere. And what have we got? Disease epidemics. Verse 22, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, MS, I mean, you just go on and on, a, a whole litany of different scourges and plagues, pestilences and diseases that we're suffering from in this country. It's on us. And soon they're going to pursue us until we perish. We're going to be invaded real soon now by foreign armies who will be co-conspiring with our own armies or at least some part of them because our leaders sell us out Jeremiah fifty fifty one make that very clear 
and we won't know where it comes from. Verse 23, In your heaven that is over your head shall be brass, and the earth that is under you shall be iron. It's hard to plow iron and brass. In other words, no rain, the ground gets hard, you can't grow crops. We won't have the rains that we're supposed to have. Aren't we getting more and more drought? Isn't it getting drier and drier? Drive across, look at Lake Powell, look at Lake Mead. They're not anywhere near the lakes they used to be. Not by any means. What is Vegas? What is Phoenix? What is L.A. going to do? This drought cycle keeps on. They're going to perish. They're going to perish. Already they're having trouble getting water up out of Lake Mead to go just to Las Vegas. <clears throat> the water's so low, it's going to be above their pumps. I mean, below their pumps. What do you do? They're taking emergency measures right now. The reservoir, Ogallala Reservoir under the Midwest, is draining. Almost dry. And that's where most of the irrigation comes from. This isn't a future thing at this point. This is upon us. <coughs> Verse 24, The Eternal shall make the rain of your land powder and dust. Instead of wet coming out of the ground or out of the air, the wind will blow and you'll get a rain of powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon you till you be destroyed. Nothing to eat. Verse 25, The Eternal shall call against them and flee seven ways before them. Total chaos, just like it would be the other way if we were obeying God. And you shall be removed into all kingdoms of the earth. Americans are going to be slaves all over the earth. They'll be bought and sold, just like... Slavery has gone on in the past. It's going to happen again. But it's going to happen to Israel this time. Verse 26, And your carcass shall be meat to all the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and no man shall flay them away. Nobody's going to haul you off. However you die, by whatever means, through warfare, famine and pestilence, or whatever, You'll just lay there, and the birds and the coyotes will have something to eat. That's how bad it will be. The mor morgues, the mortuaries, the coroners, they'll all be shut down. Society will have stopped. When you die, where you fall is where you'll be till something eats you. Bugs or whatever. Verse 27, The Eternal will smite you with the botch of Egypt, and with the emeralds, and with the scab, and with the itch, whereof you cannot be healed. Incredible. He'll smite you with madness. Most Americans, not most, but a great number of Americans are now on all kinds of pills to try to stay sane to keep from being depressed or frustrated or uptight or angry or whatever dilemma they're dealing with. ADD, ADHD, DDT, you know, on and on and on it goes. And we can't be healed. <clears throat> the Eternal will smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. 
And you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and, shall, and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save you. So you won't know what to do. You, you grope around like you were blind, he says. You, you, what do I do? What do I do? I, there's nothing to do. I can't do anything. And then die. That's where our nation is headed. Read Jeremiah. Read Ezekiel. Read Isaiah. It says the same thing. But those are in time prophecies specifically. They're saying the same thing it's saying here. And this even talks about the latter days. So it's, it's upon us. <clears throat> Verse 30, And you shall betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, and you shall not dwell therein. You shall plant a vineyard, and shall not gather the grapes thereof. Broken relationships, broken marriages, broken homes, borrow money, build a McMansion, then Goldman Sachs takes it away from you, or whoever's holding the paper 16 times down the line, and it's been sold how many times? We're there. Isaiah 5, I think it is, yeah, 5, says that we'll have built houses and not live in them. So, yeah, we've built a lot of houses, but the people that are in the elite 1% are holding the paper, and they're going to own them, and you're going to be a slave. Unless you're one of those chosen of God who obeys Him and is protected and blessed. So, always keep in mind, this is where our nation is, it's where it's going, it's what's happening, but we have a way out. It doesn't have to be this way for us. Verse 31, Your ox shall be slain before your eyes, and you shall not eat thereof. Your ass shall be violently taken away from before your face, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have none to rescue them. They'll take them, and you've got no way of getting them back. No sheriff, no constable, no marshal, no state police to go investigate the theft. They'll be gone and no one will do a thing about it. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in your hand. They're already starting to take our children away if we so much as raise a finger on them, or some kind of mental or emotional abuse, however you want it defined. They're already starting to do that, but it's going to get far, far worse, and pretty soon they'll snatch the children and send them into slavery. Going to happen. Verse 33, The fruit of your land and all your labors shall a nation which you know not eat up, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed always. So everything our nation is producing is going to be taken over by foreign powers, so that you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. It will just drive you crazy. You can't handle it. The Eternal shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore box that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. And nobody will give you a pill to fix it. Nobody will be able to give you surgery or medical care or whatever to fix it. It can't be fixed. The Eternal shall bring you and your king, which you shall set over you, your leaders, 
to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there shall you serve other gods, wood and stone. You and I grew up in this country without any wars on our borders. We grew up protected by God at Normandy and other places so that we won the wars. But that's going to stop. In fact, it already has. Witness Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever. We don't win anymore. We just fight on and on, and it costs us money and troops, and we accomplish nothing. So we're already in the beginnings of this. <clears throat> but they're going to come into our land this time. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Eternal shall lead you. Those blankety-blank-blank-blank Americans, now look at them, is what we're going to be. Fodder for cynicism and sarcasm. You shall carry much seed out into the field, and shall gather but a little in, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. So nature, enemies, everything, God says, if we disobey him, will be against us. You shall have olive trees throughout your coast, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olive shall cast his fruit. You shall beget sons and daughters, but you shall not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity, into slavery. Your kids be taken away from you and sold as slaves. This just goes on and on, isn't it? It could be depressing, frustrating. But boy, what a warning. All your trees and fruit of your land shall the locusts consume. Verse 43, The stranger that is within you shall set up high up above you very high, and you shall come down very low. We've opened our borders. We're allowing various peoples of various nations to come in here by the millions. And they will get the upper hand. And the wasp, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, that is the Israelite by blood, will get very low, and they will rise above. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you, and shall pursue you, and overtake you, until you be destroyed. So it's not going to be a few bad days. It's going to come, and it's going to linger, until you're destroyed. Look at what happened to Mitzrayim. The plagues that God brought on there to get Israel out and destroyed that empire. The locusts, the fleas, the frogs, the firstborn, on and on it went until they were absolutely destroyed. And he said they would never, ever recover and haven't to this day. Till you be destroyed, because you hearken not to the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and for a wonder and upon your seed forever. Have we ever been able to completely forget, if we read the Bible story at all, what happened in the land of Egypt? 430 years of being there, not slaves the whole time. And the aftermath, and the 40 years of wilderness, you can't be in religion much without having those stories rehearsed. And this is the story. 
that is going to be so monumental that it cannot be forgotten. <clears throat> because you serve not the eternal your God with joyful joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. God let this nation start out with great blessings, and we denied him more and more and more, and the blessings have slowly gone away, and now the cursings are overtaking us. It's so obvious. You know, when I read this 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't as obvious as it is today. It's become so much more obvious now. And we have plagues of sickness and e economic problems, all kinds of difficulties, because we didn't serve God with gladness. Now, he scattered the church in the same way. And he said, if we will repent then he will return those blessings to us. And he will protect us and take care of us through all this horror that's coming. So it happened spiritually to the church first. Now it's beginning to happen to the nation in the same way. Until the church has almost been destroyed. Famine, pestilence, and the sword spiritually has almost destroyed the church. Hatred, anger, misery, disobedience complacency. All these things have destroyed the church. On a spiritual level, you could read Deuteronomy 28 and say that just happened since 1986. Now we're on the uphill side where we have been destroyed pretty much. Now it's time to repent and obey God and be blessed. The nation is just now going into the destructive curve and it will not end until the millennium, and then they will also have the opportunity to move upward if they will obey God finally. So you have, you, it's like a graph, you've got two lines going. Church goes down, nation comes down. Church comes up, later the nation comes up. Our chances now, the nation's is in the millennium. Okay, verse 48. Therefore shall you serve your enemies, which the eternal shall send against you, in hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he have destroyed you. Think Hitler's concentration camps, Staten, uh, Stalin's gulags, on and on. It's going to be just like that. No food, no shelter, no clothes. Work until you die. The Eternal shall bring a nation against you from far, from the ends of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. Somebody with a foreign language. We know it's a coalition of nations from Isaiah 7 and 8 and from Psalm 83 and other places. <coughs> Seven heads, ten horns, and so on. Won't go into all that. A nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old, nor shall favor to the young. Won't have any respect or care for anybody. And he shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land until you be destroyed, which also shall not leave you either corn, wine, or oil, or increase of your cattle or your flocks of your sheep until he have destroyed you. <coughs> and he shall besiege you in all your gates until your high and fenced walls come down, our military, uh, that's what walls and fences were for, were to protect the people who went in there at night, 
our military will be destroyed, wherein you trusted throughout all your land. We've always said our military protects us. Not going to happen anymore. It's going away. It's going to be destroyed. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout all your land, which the eternal your God has given you. Under siege. This day we're fasting because of the siege that Babylon brought on Jerusalem. The tenth day of the tenth month is when it started. We are praying that the siege on the church will soon be lifted. But the siege on the nation is just now getting started good. So this fast has a lot of meaning right now. Verse 53, almost impossible to imagine. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, which the eternal your God has given you in the siege and in the straightness for which your enemies shall distress you. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. What he means is somebody that wouldn't swat a fly, someone who is so kind, so gentle, that they don't want to see anything die or anything be hurt. Somebody that tender will look at his brother and his wife and his kids and say, there's dinner. Hard to imagine. So that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith the enemy shall distress you in all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, won't walk outside lest a pebble hurt her foot. The tenderest, delicatest, del most delicate of women, the kindest, the sweetest, the no-hurt-anybody types. Her eyes shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that comes out from between her feet, and toward her children which she shall bear. For she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherein, wherein your enemy shall distress you in your gates. It's hard to imagine that kind of hunger, that kind of need, but it is within a human being above all else to live. And people will kill and eat their own babies in order to live. This has happened. It happened in World War II, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. It's happened all over the world. It's going to happen here soon. That's how bad it's going to be. Beyond our wildest imagination, brethren, we're a godless nation that is going to be cursed till death. Now, there's a silver lining in that. All those people are going to be resurrected in the great white throne judgment after having been humbled, after having gone through this kind of horror and death. 
and finally be humble enough to listen to God and live right and be saved. Romans 11:26. All Israel shall be saved. The majority will. But this is what it takes to get human beings to love God more than anything else and their neighbor as much as themselves. This is what it takes. How carnal, how selfish, how self-centered and narcissistic are human beings. They like the idea of God, but they don't like His methods. They don't like His rules. They don't like His ways. By nature, we don't. And so we treat each other like garbage, and we ignore God and worship ourselves. It's been that way from Adam and Eve all the way down with few exceptions. And God has called you and given you His Spirit and said, I want you to be an exception. You and I, brethren, have accepted that challenge. Those who will obey God with all their heart now are going to miss out on what we just read and be protected and blessed through this end time. But 90% of the church of God will not repent in this end time, even with the scattering that God has done, and still blame it on everybody else being Laodiceans while they are okay, and they will not repent, and they will go into this as well. Ninety percent of the church of God, about a third will repent during the tribulation but lose their lives. If Zechariah 12, I think it is, and 13 says that. We're down to a critical time. It's coming. It's already overtaking us. It just hasn't pursued us until death yet. But we're being invaded by foreign peoples. We're being invaded by diseases. We're being invaded by Monsanto. We're being invaded by GMOs. We're being invaded by everything that is destroying human life in this country and this world. Woe be to those that pollute the earth, God says in Revelation. But it's happening right now. We have an opportunity to love each other, take care of each other, share with each other, encourage each other, and escape all this. We have that opportunity. Otherwise, get your knife and fork ready, because you're going to eat your husband or your wife or your children and your dog and your cat. Believe it or not. Verse 58, If you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the Eternal your God. Fear that glorious name. Serve Him. Love Him. Obey Him. And your worst fears will not come to pass. Then the Eternal will make your plagues wonderful, and the plagues of your seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance and sore sickness, 
and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon you the diseases of Egypt. Did I already read this? No. And every sickness which are written in this book of the law, then will the eternal bring upon you until you be destroyed. Verse 62, And you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the eternal your God. We have become in this nation like the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven, as God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob we would become. And he says, We'll be so few if we don't obey. You don't read this on the internet much. They talk about a terrible time and economic problems and so on for 5, 10, 15 years, but if you have enough gold and silver, you'll survive and you'll come out on the other side doing just peachy keen once the adjustment has been made. No. The adjustment's not coming until Christ returns to this earth to rule with a rod of iron. And you will be made to obey or die. You'll still have free moral agency. You can disobey and die. Or you can obey and live. It's coming down to that. We might as well just get into it, hadn't we? Just go ahead and do it. Got to anyway someday. Why not do it now while we have a chance at salvation and be the bride of Christ? Sixty-three, and it shall come to pass that as the eternal rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the eternal will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land whither you go to possess it. And the eternal shall scatter you among all the people from the one end of the earth even to the other. And there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shall you find no ease. You'll have to worship the image of the beast, wood and stone, or die. Nebuchadnezzar's great idol of Daniel. They had to fall down and worship or die. Now, God delivered some, didn't he? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are times when they said, if you don't bow down and worship these gods, you will die. And God protected them and they didn't die. He tells us the same is true for us. Put him first, and he will protect us from the mouth of the lions, from the fiery furnace that is coming. Let's see, 65, And among these nations shall you find no ease, neither shall the sole of your foot have rest. But the Eternal shall give you a trembling heart, and failing eyes, and a sorrow of mind, and your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night, and shall have none assurance of your life. Do I die today, or is it tomorrow? Am I dying now? I heard a door open. When is it coming? In the morning you shall say, Would God it were evening, and at evening you shall say, Would God it were morning. There will be no time of peace. For the fear of your heart, wherewith you shall fear, and for the sight of your eyes, which you shall see. And the Eternal shall bring you into Egypt, or Mitzrayim again, with ships. Egypt, or Mitzrayim, represents sin. The sinful nations of this earth. It's already said in this very chapter, we go to all nations as slaves. So, 
when it says Egypt or Mitzrayim here, he's just talking about the sinful uh, uh, society of Satan, which the whole world imbibes of. So when he says, here, I'll send you into Egypt, he's not sending you into North Africa. He's sending you all over the world into sin. Again with ships, by the way, whereof I spoke to you. He brought us here by ship and gave us blessings after he had banished us from this place once before. And now he's going to take us by ships again, away from here, if we disobey. You shall see it no more again, and there you shall be sold to your enemies, for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. How bad can it get? I don't want an American slave. They don't know how to work. I'll sell them to you cheap. Don't want them. Tell them. Pretty low. But we have opportunity. Now, what does God tell the church? He says, you thought you were doing fine. Let's read one more scripture. Revelation 3. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans, verse 14, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. And that has happened to us. The church has been spewed. Because you say. Now, here is your analysis of yourself, he says. This is the way church people began to think of themselves. All of us. I am rich and increased with good. Somebody else has a problem, but I'm okay. And have need of nothing. And know not that you are wretched and miserable Poor, blind, and naked, spiritually speaking. In other words, our assessment of ourselves as a church came to be that we're the called out of God, we're fine, we're going to get on a plane and go to a place of safety. And we didn't know what sad spiritual condition we were in. In other words, we were self-righteous to the core. So God has spewed us out. And he wants us to get over our spiritual sickness and come to have Matthew 5. Poor in spirit, humble, meek, all those things that his spirit produces. Instead of angry and mean and hurtful and gossipy or whatever. Those are the fruits of a miserable, blind, naked, poor people. So we have not overcome Laodiceanism completely either, have we? Maybe we've made some progress, I hope. But let's not think too highly of ourselves. So what does he counsel? I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment, holiness, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, 
and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. See yourselves, he says, for what you are. And you can't change the other guy. You've got to change you and encourage the other guy. Not put him down, not criticize him. Love him. Love your enemies and those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That's a tough one to do, but that's what we have to come to do. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And we've been being rebuked and chastised. That's the way that God straightens people out. It's what you have to do to straighten children out. We don't like the method. We don't like the method God has been using on us. It bothers us. It hurts us. But it's the only thing that will work, brethren. It's the only thing that will work. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God will not hold it against us that we were spiritually sick and naked and blind and miserable. He's knocking on the door and he says, anybody that will change, doesn't matter what's happened in the past, anyone that will change will come in and sup with him. What supper is that? The wedding supper as his bride. Now, we can assess ourselves and come up with maybe a true spiritual picture, and it isn't pretty. And then we can do one of two things. We can wallow in self-pity and say, oh, woe is me, this is the way that I am. I can't change it. I can't fix it. Oh, poor pitiful me, and eat worms and die. We can do that. Or we can do what God says to do. To him that overcomes. First, you've got to recognize that you've got problems. Then, you've got to do something about it. Don't wallow in self-pity. Get busy. To him that overcomes, who changes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. It doesn't make any difference what we've been and how bad our spiritual condition was or is. If we will repent and change and grow, it will all be forgiven. We will be protected through all this that is coming and we will be blessed and we'll rule with Christ in the millennium for a thousand years. He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.